Hello, it's Sophie and welcome to the Levantex podcast where we discuss both political and cultural movements with experts from around the world. Today, we will be talking to Sarah Al-Yafi. Sarah is the granddaughter of Abdullah Al-Yafi, one of Lebanon's ex-prime ministers. Sarah is on the show with us today because she is an Arab woman that has created waves in the region, especially in Lebanon in regards to policy, injustice and corruption. So Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sophie. Very happy to be here. So, Sarah, I want to start by talking about a video that has gone viral. Uh, It has garnered a lot of support from the Lebanese uh, community, both in the country and outside the country. It was in collaboration with um, a wonderful Lebanese director, uh, Nadine Labake, and an actress from Australia, Kate Blanchett. What I want to know is, what inspired you to write the script? Uh, we all know what happened in the country. We were all riled. I've seen, we've seen your interviews. We've seen, uh, we've seen this, the points that you've made about uh, the August blast. However, this is um, a step that we haven't seen you take before, which is uh, collaborating maybe on a documentary or a film-like story. So uh, I'd really, I'm really interested to know what took you into this domain and um, what do you hope this video uh, will do. I actually got a phone call from Nadine Levaki, who I'm also lucky to call my friend. And uh, Nadine is the one who came up with the idea of um, of making a video for international audiences, which I thought was uh, really a brilliant idea, considering that she is who she is, and she's had the reach that she's had, and she's also a very devoted activist in a very humanitarian way and very often does it outside of the limelight. She asked me to co-write the text with her. At the very beginning, uh, we sat together, Nadine and I, and um, you were right in the sense that I actually have never done a collaboration. And she asked me a question that made me think, she's like, how do you like to work? Do you want us to shoot ideas or do you want to go write and then come back and it was interesting for me to say let me go write and come back and I I'm not saying that that is my preferred way but I didn't know how to do it otherwise but um we ended up she ended up um making it exactly what what ended up being in the video like really cutting it to give a very surgical you know surgical incisive message and accompanied with the amazing footage, uh, amazingly heartbreaking footage that was shot by the survivors, actually. And the point, I think, and the reason why we really believe that the international audience has a role to play is that we are prisoners. The Lebanese are prisoners of their own system, of their own selves, of their own hopelessness, and of their own despair. Everything that's been happening over the course of the past few years have been accumulating in a way that is slightly, slightly um, like this murderous, unpres- in a murderous, unprecedented way. So when we're hit with COVID, and when we're hit with the, a financial, a fiscal, and economic crisis, when we are hit with the largest non-nuclear explosion explosion of the world, and suddenly we look and we're saying, "What now?" What can we do? This is not a Lebanese problem. This is a human problem. And that was our call to action, hoping that the entire world would consider this not just a Lebanese issue, 
but this is a crime against humanity. This is where I, I want to just touch on what you've just been saying because you flagged it, you know, as you're talking about us being prisoners and you're talking about how we've had to go through so many different levels of abuse. Um, I'm going to have to put it in that way. Yes. But if you look around you, you know, it's really not greener on the other side. Um, we're looking at America, we're looking at Yemen, we're in Ethiopia and Eritrea at the moment. You know, it's, it's the world, it was going into revolution before COVID-19 took, uh, took a hold. Last week, you did a video where you went in depth about U.S. policy and U.S. diplomacy and how it sort of trickles down and has this domino effect. So why did you go so in depth? I mean, I know I'm picking you out on two videos that you've done in less than a month, um, but it, I think it's really interesting for our audience to know why you're spending your time going into such detail when someone could possibly go on Wikipedia or go on Google as someone who is interested and I know, because I know you, is that you're doing it because there is a point. Um, and that point is what, in brief? The United States is the most powerful economy in the world. The United States is the most powerful army. And the United States, whatever shots they call at home, has reverbs across the entire planet. The United States single-handedly can or cannot decide to save humanity from global warming, for example. The United States can and cannot, can stop a war and can start a world war. In terms of the United States, everything that they do has enormous, enormous consequences on the entire planet. Um, the reason why I went into such detail to explain how the US political system works is because I have realized across the many years that I have been alive on planet Earth that the Middle Easterners, and specifically the Lebanese, absolutely adore the game of sitting at home and second-guessing what the U.S. is going to do, and then planning accordingly, not knowing that you are not a victim of a game that is much higher than you. You're just deciding not to play in the game because you don't understand how the U.S. political system works. So maybe if you understood, if we understood how the US political system worked, you could debunk all of those myths that you have. Again, I say you like in plural, right? Yeah. We can debunk the royal you. The royal you, like we can, or we, you know, we, I, I certainly play a part as well, that we can debunk the myths around the United States and we can actually remove this powerlessness that we believe that we have been handed by the United States. Like, oh, we are such tiny, small players and we are tiny, small victims that are, is, we are just a mere pawn in the big, you know, scheming game of the United States. So by this huge chessboard, <laughs> this huge chessboard and, you know, chessboard, yeah. and it seems like the US is constantly the only ones who can do checkmates, right? And, and it's just like, no, you need to, we need to understand that there is a very specific political system by which the United States abides by. And there are players, external players, who understood it really well and who know how to legally and legitimately use it to their own benefit. But we have never done that. 
We've never done that. We are the kings and queens of nagging and whining, slapping our bodies with the in incapacity of being, of, ha of being handed a much better future, thinking that maybe if we actually root for a fraud or a hoax of a US president who might be a little bit more flexy with his muscles and his bullying, that that may or may not play a salvaging role in our lives, which is the most insane idea I've ever heard. It's gone down to you letting go of your ethics and your morals in the, in, imbued with so much powerlessness just so that you can get a little bit ahead in a game that you are a loser in. You well, know? I, it goes so, back to the video, why you did the video to begin with, you know, keep talking about Beirut, understand your own problems, start to deal with what is what you can actually deal with, what you have control of, of handling. You know, um, I think what I'm trying to say here is, I, I don't know if we can all agree, but I think we will agree that um, the Lebanese are the victims of themselves anyway. Uh, and th they do sit and they do complain. Uh, I don't want to live in a rubbish dump, but then you're driving down the road and someone's throwing plastic out of the window. Well, you're not really helping the situation there. So th that that's just a tiny little dot on what we could yeah. elaborate on. But um, going back to your statement of, let's say, America and what type of role do we play in this on, on this chessboard, in this game? Well, it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, what matters is where you are and what you can do about it here instead of sitting and waiting and watching and hoping that maybe there's some savior in grace or someone's going to put out an olive branch or remove you from the hell that you find yourself in. So thank you uh, for showing us that the first video is actually quite directly linked to the last one that you did last week because it's sort of emphasizing the fact that you know, the world is bigger than all of us. We are this one person. And what can you do as this one person to make a difference on this earth or have a purpose in some way? So I want to thank you for that, um, Sarah. It's uh, inspired me and I wanted to inspire listeners with this. And if you have anything else you'd like to say on the subject. First of all, thank you so much for bringing that up in that way. Um, I think the work, you said it, you said it, and and it's exactly this, the also the premise of what I was saying in the video of last week, which is that um, we are a culture that avoids work with almost, almost as a pathology. We want, we are used to other people doing our hard work for us and then us complaining that it's not good enough. We want other people to draw our policies we want other people to do our dirty work. We want other people to come and remedy to our crises. We want other people to take care of our economic and financial crisis. We want other people to take care of our trash crisis. We want other people to come and clean our homes. We want other people to come and tell us, uh, you know, at what price do I, I said it again in the video, which is insane. We are, su we are such, we are such a, a work avoiding culture that our, signature pride dish of hummus. We don't grow our own hummus, we import it. We let other people do the growing for us. We only want to be labeled with, with very vapid um, uh, post names such as CEO and president and prime and minister and, and deputy. And 99.9% .9 of all of the people who have ever been labeled like that 
working on the scale of Lebanon have done no work, have done no work. There is alarming, alarming stats about the parliament and the work that they've been doing. This is legislature, this is our capital. This is supposed to be the powerhouse of the country. If you see at what rate they work, at what rate they attend meetings, how long they attend meetings for, how many of them put forth bills, bills that actually pertain to real problems of the Lebanese people, you would be shocked how small and ridiculous that number is. We are not a culture that's privy to doing work. And that is really alarming. And that has also been, we've been witness to that in terms of how people have been responding to the U.S. elections. So many of them shirking that work until the U.S. election result is out. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Like, yeah, we need to know if Trump or Biden makes it so that we know. So that you know what? So that you know how to what? They, they always this, tend to be waiting for something, but none of us know what it is, isn't it? It's not like action-oriented. Okay, so why don't you plan for, plan for the scenario instead of just sitting and waiting for something that you hope could happen? Yes, and it's not even an educated wait. Like, sometimes waiting is good, but it's like it's not even an educated wait. You don't know the data behind your the waiting and the non-waiting, which is, again, why I went through... Uh, many minutes explaining how U.S. Congress works because understanding how real-life policy uh, making works might actually um, might actually denote to us how uh, how we should resolve our problems. We can do things internally and we can do things externally, and nothing is powerless unless you say that it is powerless. Well, I guess that's the problem. They do see themselves as powerless and, and sort of have this victimized thinking, which in a way is, is stopping them from being able to do anything. However, and however. also, sorry, Sophie, also the powerlessness is the number one cause behind the widespread, um, you know, like fire spreading of conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, powerlessness, questioning everything, it sort of makes it, it fits in with the whole um, the film that they're trying to build for themselves. But I guess... I want to say that there is some hope. There is this generation that, that tends to have broken this fear boundary, have, have broken these walls that uh, aren't afraid to speak out, you know? And uh, we are seeing some of them being put away for it. We're seeing some of them being scolded. We're seeing some of them having to leave and run from the country. But we have seen some stand strong and we, we've seen them win elect, uh, elections in the universities. and. Um, I, I know this, I really wanted to share this thought with you, but I always feel like Lebanon is this little bubble that you look in and it sort of does reflect what happens across the rest of the world. It seems to be this little testing zone that, you know, they come in here and they move their chessboard and, and things happen and whatever takes place, you sort of see it sort of echo. This is my theory on things, but as I'm seeing these millennials and, and this generation take a stand, I feel like I'm also watching this happen across the globe. And how can we rally these people together to be able to get to where we all need to get to in one voice, which is that there's, there's always so much ego in play here, Sarah. Like we can sit and discuss about the ones that are lazy and can't be bothered to get anywhere and sit and whinge. And then you have the ones that want to work, but have no organize, organization, don't know where to go, who to collaborate with, or, you know, it, it's very difficult. 
and then you sort of some just raise their hands up and go well what's what am i supposed to do so uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know I'm, i'm having this discussion with you to just understand like where who cares if trump's gonna stay he's obviously handing over power we're seeing it happen um day upon day okay biden's coming in you know but biden's got his own problems he's got 101 things he needs to do domestically before he can even consider foreign policy maybe he has one main agenda which could possibly be iran but um all of us as you said us little twiglets um we're not really up for grabs i think so Uh, what are we still sitting and waiting for and what can we do with the youth that we are seeing gaining ground across the Middle East? You're right that I think the youth has been connecting to an alarmingly quick degree thanks to the widespread um, success of apps like TikTok and Instagram. I think, you know, you have uh, a, a youth sitting in Portugal and doing a dance. And then you have another youth in Thailand uh, doing the same exact dance two hours later. And I think also the memes and the way that we talk and the way that our outlook is on different generations is what really combines a lot of the youth. And that could trickle down on the newer generations in a way that shows that we are not living in a bubble. The bubble is actually a very large bubble that englobes many, many people from different walks of life and different culture, cultures who share the same angst, who share the same worries. We all connect to the same memes, you know? A meme is created, different cultures, people who don't speak the same language laugh at the same thing and say, yep, that's me and my mom, or yep, that's me and my brother, like that's exactly how it goes. So I think it's giving a little bit of familiarity and uh, and commonality between the between the youth so in that sense i think that's already being done in a in a beautiful way if we choose to look at it positively and not look at the addiction side but just in a beautiful way however in the case of lebanon um particularly and i can speak for lebanon um i think there needs to be a centric lebanon centric a youth movement that focuses inwards for uh, the very beginning before doing anything that might require um, um, you know extending extending a, a larger identity uh, even though that identity is super present super present and very much at the forefront of our actions day, day in and day out so having said that i think the youth in lebanon will have to do a lot of unfortunate homework about what it will be like to not repeat the mistakes of the older generations. And that is very Lebanon-centric. There are a lot of Lebanon-centric issues that the youth will have to come to terms with. There is a, a, um, a policy education, there is a culture education, When I say culture, I mean all types of um, all types of uh, elements that contribute to a culture. There's going to be economy. There's going to be finance. There's going to be language. All of that is going to, ha- and because that will contribute to nation building, and 
we don't have any nation building going on at the moment. And my hope and my wish and my belief is that this youth is going to do that type of nation building work. But they need people like you possibly to open those doors or set those platforms for them, I'm guessing, Sarah. <laughs> well, thank you for that vote of confidence, Sophie. I really appreciate it. Yes, me and others and you. And um, I really believe we all have a big role to play. I really do. So I just wanted to link with the youth because uh, they're going to have a they have a lot uh, riding on this. They also have their futures and their children's futures riding on this. It's not something that can be taken necessarily lightheartedly. But um, on the horizon, there is the big question that's happening currently as uh, Israel and its place in the Middle East and what's going on now and this list that you just gave me you know for setting the foundations of nation building and working on that is that even going to uh, happen is it going to be allowed to happen uh, would it be uh, too exciting to say that that is uh, wishful thinking and secondly I mean uh, what we've just seen Dubai do with cancel all of the visas to nearly mostly Muslim countries after its most recent peace deal with Israel is a little bit scary to see what the future will hold or what countries could be backed into. I know it, I, I, this question has changed as I've spoken, but I think you can see where my brain's going. I mean, look where we are, look what we hope for, but we have neighbors and we are in a in a, in a region where the situation is tense and borders are being redrawn? You know, there was, I think it was in, uh, back in, uh, in June already, so a few months back, and there was a senior United Arab Emirates official who said back then that Lebanon was paying a heavy price uh, of deteriorating ties with the with the Gulf states uh, as it struggles to cope with uh, this horrendous, um, really really difficult and heavy economic and financial and fiscal crisis, and um, I think they know the Gulf states. They've always, you know, channeled funds. Um, to help Lebanon cope with the many different uh, hurdles over the years. But um, they have been um, all jointly very disturbed and alarmed by, by Hezbollah's influence and rising influence. This is a, a funny word to say, rising influence, because they already were pretty influential. But, um, but there was a rising influence, which also shows you, bracket, that everything that Trump has done over the past four years with being hard, hard, hard on Iran has had zilch in terms of hurting Hezbollah. It, had ha it has had no effect, in fact, as the Gulf states themselves have stated in many different memos, that it is a rising influence of Hezbollah on local politics, on the youth, etc. So, and, and their arch rival, their arch nemesis is Iran. And they loathe the idea that, um, that they would have to assist a corrupt oligarchy that is in bed with their arch rival 
with money that will be funneled down their pockets once again. So um, I think it was, um, you know, the, 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 the Emirati Minister of, uh, of State for Foreign Affairs, he said uh, during that summer that the economic meltdown of Lebanon is very, very worrying to them, but also they, you know, they, they're, they're sad to see it deteriorate to that extent, but they also have to say that the way it's deteriorating, if they put their hands in, they're gonna get their hands, they don't wanna, they don't wanna get their hands like scratched and dirtied. They're just, and, and, and that's the mood of all of the international community. It's not just the mood of the Emiratis, it's the mood of, of all of the French, of the Americans, of the British, they are really tired and deflated and demoralized by the level of, of corruption and incompetence of, the, of, of our government, of our, of our oligarchy. So, so nobody, nobody seems to be on the side of the Iranian sort of uh, narrative except Iran. It's, and and that that explains that explains the this very hardcore approach that they are starting to take towards Lebanon, which is also unprecedented, considering that we all always could rely on our um, international friendships when we needed help. We always could rely on them, and this is one of the first times in our contemporary history where they have shut the door and they're like, deal with it. You, you make your own bed, you lie in it. That's what they're saying to us. So uh, you make your own bed and uh, we're going to find other ways to, to do trade and other ways to do things that don't necessarily cause so, so much of a headache. That not, don't and also that go, like, that go against everything that we stand for and they really have their own, um, they have their own political, cultural, historic, religious conflict with Iran as well that does not include Lebanon, but Lebanon as usual is playing a, 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 a completely demoralized type of secondary uh, um, role whereby uh, we pay such a collateral damage type of fee day in and day out as we have always done. Okay, I just want to wrap this up because I think uh, we, we might have wandered off a bit, me and you. Uh, it was always uh, expected. I'm not too shocked. Um, but to wrap this up, I wanted to ask a question that just listening to you has occurred to me. Um, do you think we are in or we're very close to being in a situation like Syria where we are completely isolated? because of Iran and the ties with its proxies and the level of the threat on the border. And I, can, I mean, the list goes on. Yes, we, we are definitely already isolated. You are, you are very correct in saying that. Today, um, you know, we have, we have a crisis that is globally unprecedented, okay? The curse of this crisis is that it is a multi-dimensional crisis. The multidimensionality of this crisis is what makes it unprecedented. First, we have an economic crisis. That's the really severe recession. 
We've seen no economic growth for years due to the incomprehensible incompetence of the dreadful ruling class. This damning ruling class implemented zero reforms, kept spending, embezzling, and stealing funds of the Lebanese people without creating any type of economic growth, not to mention the humanitarian crisis caused by the ruthless war in Syria. Just this year, one third of private sector jobs in Lebanon have been killed. A quarter of the companies have completely shut off, shut, like closed their doors and suspended their activity. The unemployment rate tripled in one year. The unemployment rate last year was 11%. It is currently at 35% and it's growing exponentially. That's just economic crisis. That's one dimension. There are six dimensions to the crisis. That's one dimension. The second dimension is, of course, a banking, a banking crisis. Their independent crisis, they, the ruling class is so incompetent that they didn't link them. Like They're so incompetent that we have reached rock bottom in every sector. The banks suffered on what we call as a run on the banks, okay? Which is like, you know, when you have massive bank withdrawals, that produces um, a horrendous disaster because the fall of the currency then creates a phenomenon of hyperinflation, a severe decline in the Lebanese purchasing power. This forced the banks to impose a very tight control on capitals and on deposits. And as a result, depositors could not have access to their money. Uh, they, there, is a, there is a new term that has been circulating. It's not, um, you know, nouveau riche, there is nouveau pauvre, which means that you actually have money, but you just don't have access to it. So, so we undergo this haircut every day, and the government did not even officially impose, impose a capital control or anything to try to protect people's assets. They let all of those millionaires and billionaires and the corrupt people and their surroundings funnel out of funnel out their funds and the small depositor is the one who's paying the price the third dimension is the financial crisis we have a debt that exceeds 170 percent of our gdp even though it sounds just like numbers if you explain that this is technically the second most indebted country in the world with respect to its gdp for a very small country like lebanon that is, I don't want to use these words anymore. I don't want to use the words travesty and horrific and horrendous. They have lost their meaning. They should be, it should be punishable in a court of law to do that for a debt of $90 billion or more. That's atrocious. The Lebanese state today, as a result of that, can no longer get indebted through the markets. So now we're an economy that is that much indebted but we cannot do anything if the international community doesn't help us. Because then we have a fourth dimension, which is the monetary crisis, which is saying that the, our currency has lost more than 80% of its value. The currency has lost more than 80% of its value over the course of six months and still dwindling by the day. The central bank will no longer be able to subsidize the things that today people can still afford that fall of the currency is going to create what I talked about a little bit earlier, this hyperinflation. The fifth dimension is the social crisis, which has increased poverty rate and misery. I mean, only people who have a type of external income or relatives 
or somebody that they're married to or parented to or a dad or a mom or a sibling or a type of external investment are the only ones who are actually escaping the, the, the astoundingly inflating poverty rate in the country. And finally, you have a political crisis, which is an untenable political situation. We are ruled by a mafia and a militia. And we have COVID. <laughs> yeah, on top of everything. And we have lockdowns. And we have like horrendous, horrendous people in government calling the stupidest shots. You do a lockdown, you punish the small Lebanese citizen. The only thing a total lockdown does, and that's something that the WHO said, the only thing it does is it increases poverty. It doesn't help you with COVID. And uh, so the isolation becomes more and more, and we're going to get to a situation where even when we're isolated from the international community, we're not going to be able to feed ourselves. But we don't want to end on that note, uh, listeners. <laughs> so uh, just to final, finally wrap everything up, Sarah, I'm sure you've got some things uh, going on and some things planned. Uh, we'd love to hear if there's anything you'd like to highlight. If we are not connected on Instagram, let's connect on Instagram because I, I actually have many talks coming up and I'm currently working on a on an online political platform that is going to be hopefully a really important tool that will help voter education and and transparency and representation. I'm working hard on that. Hopefully we'll launch it within a couple of months. And maybe when we launch it, uh, we can talk about it again, Sophie. Definitely. But um, so this is something that is going to encourage voter education, just sort of something similar to what I'm already doing today with the lives, but um, in a more systematic way. And there's going to be a, a very smart um, algorithm that we are currently developing that will help uh, users understand who is their representative so please stay tuned on that end and everyone um, if you want to follow sarah on instagram that's at sarah yafi that's s-a-r-a-y-a-f-i so uh, you can keep up with all of her talks that she was just mentioning and obviously my updates and her updates with what's coming in the future Thank you so very, very much. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to support us so we can continue creating content, consider donating. We're a crowdfunded nonprofit, so every little bit helps us keep giving you guys more content that is free of editorial, free of any type of limitations. It is uh, from person to person, expert to expert. And uh, you can donate by heading to our website, www.levantx.com and hitting the donate button. You can also give a monthly or a one-time donation. So cheers. It's been great having you on the show with us today. It's been absolutely wonderful. There is so much we can talk about, but I'm definitely going to bring you back because so many questions left unanswered, but so little time. <laughs> No, with pleasure. Absolutely. Anytime. It was really lovely talking to you again. And uh, thank you for the questions and thank you for the interest. And most importantly, really from my heart, thank you for the support. You motivate all of us to keep going. You're an inspiration. Uh, and thank you very much for joining me.